All right, this morning I want to give you something that I want to talk to you about God in our soul. And when I say our soul, I don't mean our individual souls, I mean the soul of humanity. That God has written his name on our hearts, even those who aren't believers or aren't in Christ. They have a, an idea of who God is and what he's like. And I want to equip you with some things that maybe will help you to shine that light that you have that you just sang about in front of your friends or family who would say they're atheist or who would mock you for your faith and say that God isn't real or that God is not who we say he is. And I just want to, I want to talk about not proofs that God exists because we must believe in faith, but just think through some things with you here. So I want to say that God, two things I want to talk, touch on this morning, that God must exist because we have a definition of who he is, as humanity, I mean, and that God must exist because his goodness is too perfect. And I'll explain what both of these mean as we go through. But number one, God has to exist because humanity has an idea of what a God would be. If we went on the street and like Jimmy Kimmel or somebody and stuck a microphone in a hundred random people's faces, they would have very different details about their belief in the spirit world and God. But you would be shocked at how much would be very, very similar of the concept of what a God is or who God is. Even atheists who profess to not believe in God have a mental imaginary picture of God that they are then disputing. (laughs) And somebody would say, well, that's the reason we all have a similar definition of God is because we all live in this post-Christian world where Religious people have been spreading their message around for thousands of years, and so we have this similar vocabulary in how we would describe God. But I would say, no, that's not true, because I'm going to pull out out my back pocket time machine here, and we're going to go back in time, and I'm going to amass a whole bunch of people here for you, and and we're going to ask them what a God is. And first, I'm going to go back 5,000 years ago to 3,000 B.C., and I'm going to nab somebody in ancient Egypt. And I'm going to put them right here. And then I'm going to go back 3,000 years ago and I'm going to nab somebody from ancient Greece who believes in Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite and Athena and I'm going to put them right here. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to grab an ancient Hebrew priest from the Old Testament. And then I'm going to go back 1,200 years and I'm going to grab a Viking who believes in Odin and Thor and Loki and Friar. And then I'm going to go grab a Nez Perce medicine man from before contact with the white man. I'm going to grab a Nez Perce medicine man, a religious leader, and I'm going to put him right here. And then I'm going to grab a medieval Catholic, and I'm going to put that person right here. And then we're going to stand here, and we're going to ask them, define God. If they believe in multiple gods, like Zeus and or Thor and Loki, we're going to ask that person, okay, the top god, the chief one, like Zeus, okay? You... We're going to say, describe God. They would be remarkably similar. Because if we ask them, these people who are separated by time and geography and would never have communicated. Oh, and we're going to throw in a Tibetan Buddhist Lama from 500 years ago here. And we're going to ask all these people who would never meet. 
because they didn't they live thousands of years apart or thousands of miles apart and they don't have the the benefits of modern communication their concept of what a god is would be very very similar number 1 they would all say he's big he's as big as the universe he's as big as everything that he's the creator that he is a he in every case he's a he they would say that he lives high. The Tibetans would say he lived on the tallest mountain. The ancient Greek would say they live on Mount Olympus. The name El Shaddai for Yahweh God in the Old Testament is God on the mountain. God is high. He lives up somewhere. They would have total disagreement about the names and identities of these gods, but their description of what a God is is written in the heart of humanity. I'm not going anywhere universalist, so you can quit frowning at me. Just hang with me. They would say that he's the creator, that he's all-powerful or very powerful. They would say that there are writings, teachings, that the God has given to us on how to live. Every single one of those religions had scriptures, writings, stories, something that they believed was divine. They would say that the God receives worship and almost exclusively with music. The gods want sung to. They would say that the God requires obedience. And without exception, all of them would say, we have disobeyed God and offended him. So God requires blood sacrifice and wine and food so that we can reconnect with that God whoever all of these different characters would say the Nez Perce would say it's the great spirit the Tibetan Lama would have some name for the highest spirit the Greek would say it's Zeus the ancient Egyptian would have their top God and they believed in thousands but they had a, a king of the God the ancient Hebrew would say it's Yahweh God the medieval Catholic would say it's G- the father of Jesus the God of the Old Testament also. So they would disagree on the names and the characters and the, and the sacred scriptures, but they would all have them. So somebody is really scared right now, like, Mitch, are you saying these are all the same? Well, absolutely not, because Jesus is the only one to claim that he was God. All of the other religious doctrines that we have, from Buddhism to Hinduism to Mormonism to Islam and everything else, their leader or their former person established their doctrines, did not claim to be God, but Jesus did. You could say, well, the Pharaohs claimed to be God, yes, but they didn't claim to be the God, the top one. And Alexander the Great claimed to be a God, but even his own men laughed at that. They worshipped him because they had to. They'd lose their head if he... But Jesus claimed to be the God. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So they're not all the same because Jesus is the only one that claims that. Buddha and Joseph Smith and Muhammad and the others claimed that they could point the way to God, but they didn't say, I am God here to show you the way. And Jesus did. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Jesus is the only one that raised from the dead. Buddhists don't believe that Buddha was God or that he's alive. 
Muslims don't believe Muhammad was God or that he's alive, but we say Jesus was God in a human body. And he came to show us the way. All the other religions, they set up this way to, for us to be perfect and to pay for our sins. Only Jesus said, I am God and I'm here to pay for your sins. Jesus is the only one who gives new birth and a filling of the Spirit of God. He's the only one who claims he will return and make everything right. And he's the only one who is currently covering the globe. A hundred thousand people a day being born again. So what I'm saying is that not that these other religions aren't false. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that humanity Every one of us, whether we're inside of Christ or not, whether we're a believer in Jesus or not, every one of us has an awareness that there is something else. There is a God out there that we lost connection with. It is a very recent thing in world history. The last 100 or 200 years out of 6,000 years of human history that anybody has ever been an atheist. Nobody's ever been that arrogant before. Everybody knew there was something else out there that I am required to submit to and worship. We disagreed on what it was, but what it was was the real God that they'd lost track of. And so they came up with all their own systems on how to be restored to this mysterious unknown God that's out there somewhere. And Jesus showed up and said, I am him. Here I am. I became a man to be with you, to show you the way. So I'm not saying that we're the same. I'm saying that we as a humanity, all of us, all of us have some concept of what a God is, and that's remarkably similar across all cultures and time. So the fact that it is in our collective soul of what a God is proves that he's there. Because if I asked you to define God, of course we would all have different details and focuses and things, but our answers would be remarkably similar. But if I asked you to define a snarfblat, you wouldn't have a clue where to start because we don't have a collective consciousness about what a snarfblat is. You can't tell me what a snarfblat is. You have no idea. Neither do I. But if we say, if we ask the Tibetan Buddhist and we ask the Nez Perce and we ask the Christian sitting in this room, what is a God? What is a God? In general, answers would be pretty similar. Because God wrote himself on the soul of humanity, and then we've gotten all scattered and perverted and lost, and history were broken, but the fact that we, as a collective human, human race, we have an idea of what a God would be proves that he's there. Because these people did not talk with each other they didn't pass the myth from, from generation to generation and invent this God thing, and we're just recipients of it down through time. It is written in the soul of humanity that there is a God, that he is there. So, as I said, it is a very, very new thing in history to be an atheist. There have been people who lost faith in their cultures, mythologies. There was... Romans that didn't believe in the Roman gods and were put to death. And there was so on. But for people to have this materialistic, I believe in science, 
kind of thing is relatively new. That there is no spirit world, there's no God, there's no devil, there's no angels or demons or heaven or hell. That's a very new thing in human history. So my second point begins there. That there are people who claim to be atheist. And there are people who have a genuine commitment to only to matter. What what is solid, what is real, what is physical is all there is. There is no spiritual world. There is no heaven and hell. There is no God. Those people have a certain integrity about their beliefs. At least they have a cohesive worldview. But those people there are many of them, when they take an honest look at the evidence, talking about creation and evolution and physics and biology and geology, and when they take a look at the evidence, a lot of them, when they come without an agenda and they really want to know the truth, a lot of them convert. Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel are probably the two most famous because they wrote books about their story. They both started out as 100% hard rock atheists, they were going to disprove Christians are the stupidest people ever. Christianity is a total joke, and both of them got baptized <laughs> by the end of their search. There are lots of examples of that, but when people come with without an agenda and they honestly want to know the truth about science and the material world and the history of the planet and so on, they find God because it's there. But what I want to address is the people that you know and I know who say they're atheists. But really, they hate God. You know, an a- somebody who says they're an atheist, but they're obsessed with God. They wear shirts. They have bumper stickers. They are in Facebook groups that just thrash God and Christians. That we are stupid, that we're a joke. They have incredibly blasphemous and insulting things about Jesus. That they make into bumper stickers and Facebook memes and you don't find Christian Facebook groups making fun of Thor or Vishnu because he's not there. Come on. You with me? There aren't, there aren't Christian Facebook pages that are making fun of Zeus and Baal. So these people that I want to address this morning are the, the, not, the, not the scientific atheists who are just genuinely convinced there's nothing more than electrons and protons and neutrons. I want to address the people, because I'm talking about God and the human soul here. I want to address the people who say they are atheists, but they are obsessed with God. They hate God. They hate us. They think we're taking spiritual opium. And we have been duped and fooled, and they say, amongst other things, I know this is not the only objection they would have to our faith, but one of the main charges they have is that God is not, that God is not there like we say he is. He's not good because of tragedy and death and destruction in the world. If God is really good like you Christians say, there wouldn't be war and starvation and child abuse and poverty. Again, I don't want to put any words in anybody's mouth and I don't want to create a straw man, 
but this is an objection that people have against Christianity and our definition that God is there and that he's good, even that he's perfect. So I'm not speaking about any specific person here. I know I have to talk in generalities because I'm not in a debate with someone here who claims to believe this, but there, are, there is this charge against Christians and against God that God is not good because what about babies that die? What about war? What about poverty? What about cancer? If your God is as good and perfect as you say, these things would not exist. So we have people who become atheists. We have people who are agnostic that say, well, maybe there's a God out there, but he's, there's a book called The Blind Watchmaker, that God, maybe he's there and he created everything, but he's totally uninvolved. And he, if he was, we wouldn't have problems. So obviously he must not care. And then we have Christians come along and say, no, he's good and he's perfect and everything he does is exactly right. And how do we answer? Cancer. How do we answer child abuse? How do we answer divorce? How do we answer rape, slavery? So I just, again, I can't answer all of that in the time frame here this morning, but I want to say just this one thing, that those who would say that God is not perfect because the world is not perfect, they would say God is not good because of all these evils that exist in the world. I'm here to tell you this morning that everything God created is perfect, and the things that we call evil don't exist. There is no such thing as an evil thing. What do I mean? Well, let me give you some physical examples and then we'll start talking spiritual stuff. Darkness does not exist. It is the absence of light. There is no substance, there is no reality to darkness. There is to light. Light is photons, particles of energy that travel on a wave from the light bulb or the sun to your eye. That is, light is actually a thing. Darkness is not a thing. It is the absence of light. A vacuum. I'm not talking about house cleaning. I'm talking about science. A vacuum is not a thing. Matter is a thing. Matter is stuff. Matter is protons, electrons, neutrons, atoms. A vacuum is where that there is no matter. Hello? Silence does not exist. There's no such thing. Sound is a thing. Sound is an energy wave traveling through from a source to our ear. Silence is nothing. It doesn't exist. It's the absence of the good thing. Hello? Cold is not a thing. Heat is. Heat is energy in the particles, and they move faster, and things warm up. Cold is not a substance. Cold is nothing. Cold is just the absence of heat. Hello? God did not create anything bad because nothing bad exists. It's just the absence of the good thing that God did create. So people would say God is evil because children in Africa are starving. Starvation is not a thing. Food is a thing. God created food. Starvation is the lack of food. Starvation is not a thing. God created the good thing and we messed it up. Poverty is not a thing. Money is a thing. 
Poverty is the lack of money. Money is the thing God created. God did not create poverty. He created money. If we don't have the good thing that God made, then we have a problem. But God didn't make the problem. The problem is not a thing. It is the absence of a good thing. Come on. Weakness. Weakness and exhaustion are not things. Energy and strength are. Weakness, tiredness is the lack of a good thing, which is energy. There's nothing that comes on you that makes you tired. It's that you don't have energy, which is good, that God made. Come on. Sickness is not a thing. Health is the way God created us. Sickness is a malfunction. Something isn't working the way God made it to work. God put so many organs and systems in our body, from your lymph system to your liver to your white blood cells. To all of our body is designed for health, for recreation, for reproduction. Everything in nature is reproduces cells, reproduces offspring. And everything is in our body. All these systems are to clean out toxins and to clean out disease. And when that doesn't work right, we get sick. But the way God created it is health. Well, somebody would say, well, Mitch, germs and tumors are things. Those are real substances. Well, they are. But it's something is out of whack. Because a bacteria or a virus or a cancer cell, yes, they occur. But God designed our system to clean those out. And when we get sick, it's because something is broken or some, some organ is not working right or we're not getting nutrients or whatever it is. Because God created life. I read a couple years ago that we are exposed to 2 billion germs a day. And that's seriously creepy to a germaphobe like me. I wash my hands all the time. I can't handle germs. But 2 billion germs a day, the fact that any of us are mostly healthy most of the time is a miracle. There are so many, it's uncountable, systems in our body and, and parts and organs and stuff to get rid of that stuff. And if we get sick, it's not because we got exposed to a germ, because two people can get exposed to the same thing and somebody gets sick and somebody else doesn't. It's because of nutrition, it's because of stress, it's because of sleep. Come on. You know, you've had sickness go through your house, sometimes people get it and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you're exposed to something, you get it, and sometimes you don't. It's, so yeah, germs and tumors are things, but it's because something is broken. Something isn't working right. Equilibrium has not happened. Sickness is not something God created. Sickness is a malfunction of what God did create, which is health. Death is not a thing. When somebody dies, it's not, no substance came into them and now they're dead. It is life came out. God created life. He did not create death. Death does not exist. Death is the absence of life. Death is not a thing. Life is. There's a life force in our body. The Bible calls it the spirit. When it leaves, our body is what we call dead. But nothing came and made death happen. Life left. 
Again, my point is, these people want to blame God for creating all this bad stuff. God did not create anything bad. Because darkness doesn't exist. Cold doesn't exist. Death does not exist. Poverty does not exist. They're not substantive, real things. It is the lack of the good things that God gave us. I'm not saying they don't happen. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying they're not things <laughs> that God made. God made money and food and health and life and warmth and matter and light and sound. Everything that he made is good, and when it operates correctly, things are good. When we disobey or things get broken or twisted or out of the correct context, then it's bad. Divorce is not a thing. It is a breaking of a thing, which is covenant marriage. Come on. God made sex, and it's holy and beautiful, and there's a context, and it's correct, and you take it out of that context, and it brings death and ruination. And it breaks hearts, and it destroys lives. From child molesting to rape to broken hearts. Sex outside of its context brings death. God did not create any of the rest of that stuff. He did create sex, and it's good in the right context. In the correct boundaries, it brings life and love and relationship. Come on. God didn't create our problems. It is us disobeying because in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for sin is shata, which means to miss the target. God says there is one target out here, and it is called righteousness. It is called my word. It is called obedience. And there are 359 other ways we can shoot our arrow, and what do we hit? We hit nothing. That's sin. Sin is not a thing. It is missing the target because the target is the thing. God's will, God's perfection, His commands are the thing. And all of our other responses to disobey God, we shoot our arrow off into nothing. We don't hit anything. That's sin. The thing God created is righteousness, truth, the commands, the instructions, righteousness. Even the devil's lies are not substantive. They aren't real things. All, the devil is so uncreative, he cannot even make up an original lie. All he can do is get us to doubt what God said. Seriously, the devil has never made an original statement in his life. He literally, I mean this truly, he cannot create anything. All he can do is get us to doubt what God said. Or he can take, he, if, if he can't get us to doubt God and we're going to insist on believing God, then he's going to just, instead of trying to pull us out of the way, he's going to get behind us and just push us and get us to take that truth out of its context. He can't make up an original lie, but if, if we're going to insist on believing in the love of God, then he's going to get us to take that way far extreme and get out of context with it. If we're going to believe in the judgment of the fear of God, he's going to get us behind us and push us way over here where we're out of context with it. And it become, the truth of God becomes a lie. He's going to get us to take sex or alcohol or family or relationship or all this stuff, and he's just, okay, it's good. I'm just going to shove you clear over here where you're out in lie land. Because he can't make anything up. He cannot create anything. All he can get us to do is pervert and twist and break the truths of God. 
So there isn't any substance, there isn't any realness to anything he does. He just tries to get us out of what is real. He tries to get us to doubt what is real, to disbelieve what is real. So if you know somebody who would say, well, your God is made up. Your God is not who you believe because you say that he's perfect. You say that he's loving. And look at the planet. We got problems. My answer is, everything that God made is perfect. And all of our problems are our own missing the mark. We didn't hit the target. War, poverty, divorce, child abuse, slavery, starvation. It's all us not doing what God said. It's all God's truths being broken, perverted, disobeyed, ignored. Nothing that we would call bad in the world is anything God made. It's the absence of what God made, which is light and sound and matter and food and love and truth and righteousness and money and these good things that are real. If God was perfect evil, as some folks would say, we wouldn't have any idea about what goodness would be. It defies every law of formal logic to say that God is evil with no goodness in him, and then he created us, but we have some imagination of what goodness would be. Again, I'm talking about God writing himself in our souls. Whether people are believers or not, everybody knows the world's broken. Everybody wants it to be a better place. Well, guess what? Our story says that it was and that it will be. Come on. Our story says the world was perfect. God is perfect. We broke it. He came to save us, and he will restore it all when he returns. If God is cruel or evil or not perfectly good, then it, imp- it defies every law of logic to think that we could imagine goodness. So the people who say, your book is a fairy tale, you religious people are smoking opium. That's a, that's a phrase, you know, the religion is the opiate of the masses. If they, the people who say that this is a man-made document, that we are hoping in some stupid fable that can't possibly be real, here's, here's another reply, is that if God didn't write this book, I'm going to find out the man who did and I'm going to worship him. Because this is too perfect to be written by a person. The story is too good to not be true. There is an accusation that, well, Jesus was a good teacher and he went around doing good, but he's dead. He never claimed to be God and he's dead. And it's the early apostles, it's that early church. They made up all of his claims about being God and they made up the claims about the resurrection and they're the ones that created Christianity, not Jesus. That's a very common academic charge that Paul created Christianity and not Jesus that it was the early apostles that preached Jesus was God and that Jesus was raised from the dead, that that didn't actually happen because we couldn't possibly believe in a miracle. 
uh, and we couldn't believe that Jesus was God, that God took on flesh. So, so there's this charge. Well, Andrew Schlafly says this, if it really was the early Christians that made up Jesus, then who made up the early Christians? Seriously. If they, out of their own goodness of heart, wrote this, they're God. But they didn't. They met God. Napoleon Bonaparte said the same thing in the 1800s when he was in exile. At the end of his life, he read the Gospel of John for the first time in his life. He grew up in Christian Europe, and he'd never read the Gospels. And he read the Gospel of John. And at the end of it, speaking of Jesus, he said, either that man is the Son of God or the man that wrote this is. It's too perfect. It, it can't have been made up by us who are too stupid and too broken to get it this perfect. It has to be real. It has to be true because the early Christians could not have made up Jesus. It's too good. It's too shocking. The claims are too large and the proof is too provable. That for 2,000 years, lives have been changed and the gospel has swept the globe and the kingdom of heaven is increasing to the point where two-thirds of the world now says, we believe. And there are people who are blinded by such arrogance that they would say, well, you all are fools and we're the only ones that see the truth. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe two-thirds of the world has seen the picture. And that there are others that are just blinded by pride. It's too good. If God was not perfect, we wouldn't know what goodness is. And if this was just made up by human beings, it wouldn't work. Somebody in 2,000 years would have noticed that it doesn't work. And it would be exposed for the fraud that it is. And unlike other religious groups that are shrinking in number, Christianity continues to grow because there is real life and real power in it. So God is there. I know this isn't the only statement we could make, but it's just what I'm here to say this morning. God is there because he has written himself in the heart of humanity. And even those that don't believe in the same Jesus that we believe in, they would have a concept of a God. That Yeah, there's something out there. And we say, yes, there is, and Jesus came to show us the way. And we say that God is good and perfect, and that nothing he created is bad or wrong, and that all of the problems of the world are the absence of the good things that he created. They're not bad things that he made because he's vindictive or somehow evil or torturing us. And we say that in light of those bad things that happened, it was not only not him that did it, it's our own fault. But he is so good that he's come and he said, I will save you. He came and he said, I will save you from the consequences of your own deeds because I am that perfect and that good. Nobody could make this stuff up. Nobody could have dreamed that up. 
None of the other religions in the entire history of the world ever dreamed up that God would actually forgive their sin. That God would actually come to earth and pay for their disobedience. All of them are based on perfection and offerings and sacrifices and getting it all right and pleasing an impleasable God. Which is what makes Christianity so hard to believe, but so perfect. Because it's the only way it can work. It's the only thing that can be true. But these folks who have this accusation against God, they have a legitimate statement. They have a legitimate question. What is God doing about war and poverty and child abuse? Usually you, I find when I deal with these people or when I read their blogs or other stuff, what I find actually is that not that they're atheists at all. They believe in God. And not only do they hate him with a passion, they are very hurt and offended at a God they say they don't believe in. But they believe in him very deeply. And they're mad at him. Because where was he when X happened? Why did he allow that to happen? Or why didn't he stop that from happening? I find that it is true that some of the most outspoken God-haters were raised in seriously dysfunctional Christian homes. From rock stars to college professors and atheist authors, that, that they have an offense against a God that they say they don't believe in, but really, they're just very deeply wounded. And I know that Somebody here is too. Probably quite a few of somebody's here this morning. You have that same question, that same charge against God. Why did he let that happen? Where was he when this happened? Yeah, I'd like to know why he allowed my parents to divorce or where was he when I was raped or molested or we went through that bankruptcy Why hasn't he healed me? It's a legitimate question. It is a legitimate question. But I would tell you the better question is not where was he. The better question that will get you somewhere is where is he now? The question where was he when that happened is going to keep you angry and in doubt and fear but if you will ask now today where is he today and what is he doing right now the answer is today is the day of salvation the answer is he's here to heal you I say it again if you have unanswered questions if you have doubts or even anger at God it's totally legitimate the simple answer and I know I don't know the details of your story and we can talk through that if you want. But the simple answer is, where was God when that happened? Is, is that, or what was God doing? The, or why did that happen? The simple answer is somebody disobeyed. It's not ever God's idea that a child get molested or a woman get raped or that there be starvation or child abuse or a divorce and a split in the family or your spouse cheated on you. God did not plan those events. That is, somebody disobeyed. Or something got broken. 
in your health or your relationship or your finances. We live in a broken world and things are just broken. Is not God did not create the brokenness by definition. He created it whole and it's broken. So your questions, your accusation, even your anger, it happened. It's real. It's legitimate. But it, staying in anger or doubt or a refusal to believe or a refusal to obey is not going to get you unstuck. It's not going to get you free. The better question is, Jesus, what are you doing today? Where are you right now? And I'll tell you, he is right here in the room, and he is ready to heal what was broken. He is ready to fill the holes. He is ready to repair the relationships. He is ready to give you forgiveness for your sin, and he will give you his forgiveness for the person you need to forgive. When Jesus said, get the log out of your own eye before you pick the splinter out of somebody else's, he's not, he's not delegitimizing your experience. But he's saying, you have to realize that no matter how bad you've been hurt or wronged, you've hurt other people too. And you are just as broken as anybody else. We're all in the same boat. Jesus says, come to me and let me get let me get the stuff out of your eye. Let me get it out of your heart. And then we'll work on forgiveness and restoration. Trust me with justice. Trust me with mercy. I will make every wrong right. You will be satisfied. Either with my mercy or my justice, I get to pick but you will be satisfied with whatever it is that you need satisfied. But today, come in faith now. That's the invitation. He's here right now to heal, to repair, to remove bitterness and offense or fear or anger. If you have never made him God and Lord of your life, we would love to pray with you for that if you choose that. The good news about God's goodness is that his same choice to give all of us free will that resulted in somebody else blowing it is the same free will that he gives you to choose Jesus today. The fact that God gives us free will to choose to sin or not, that really, really hurts when other people sin. It really hurts when we sin. But it also means it's never too late to choose Jesus today to turn around, to leave what you've been doing wrong and say, I choose Jesus today. I choose to obey. I choose to do it right according to God's word. I will obey. So his free will is actually good news, even though it's painful. It's good news. You can choose to forgive. You can choose to be forgiven. You can choose to give up the anger and the accusation and get right with God. Lord Jesus, we love you. You can come right now. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody's looking. Just come on up, please. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We believe you. That you are there and that you are not silent. That you are good. That you didn't create anything evil. Lord, all the problems of the world are the results of our own disobedience. 
So we confess that to you now. We come to you individually. We come to you as a group, Lord, and we confess our sin and we say, Lord, we need saved. That you are good and everything you created is good. That you are gentle and kind and loving and healing and forgiving and gracious and merciful. That all the bad stuff that happened to us, it was not your plan. It was not your will. It's not your fault. You are perfect. You, we come to you as our Savior and our healer right now. Lord, we confess that we need forgiven. Lord, as much as the other person abandoned us or betrayed us or abused us, we need forgiven also. We need to be made right and clean. We ask for that, and we thank you for it. We trust you with our history, with our situations, Lord, we know you will make it right. You will bring justice, and you will bring mercy at just the right time. In the meantime, we will walk with you by faith. We believe that you are there, that you care, and that you are watching, and that you're good. Thank you for life and love and family and friends for everything good that you have made and given to us. Lord, forgive us for missing the target. We get back on track right now, this morning. We give you our hearts and our lives, our minds, our time. Everything is yours. We make you Lord. We ask you to forgive our sin and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Teach us your truth. And get us back on track, on the right path that you would have for our lives. Lord, we ask for healing for wounds of the past, for the charges and accusations, even offenses maybe that people are, might be carrying toward you, God. We give them to you. We have lots of unanswered questions, but we trust you. We believe that you are good and that you will make it all right in time.